right? There are a few announcements. Go ahead. We're going to ask all of you to put on your writing caps. How many of you love to write? It's like a homework assignment for many of us. And we have extended the due date for our 30-year anniversary of EFC Irvine. So we would like to extend the invitation to all of you to write um, just the title being EFCI and, and me and what the, the Lord has done during your time here. So that due date will be a final due date. Once again, end of the, uh, end of the month, January 31st. And uh, in Psalm 22, 3, it says, The Lord inhabits in the praises of his people. The Lord dwells in the praises of his people. And we have two opportunities coming up this year. We have worship nights. The first one will be coming up in February. And that will be a, presented by the 1.5 service titled Reconnect. And it will take place actually at our neighborhood um, church, the Korean church on the same street. So please look at your bulletin and save that date. It will be a great time to worship together. And also if you are interested in to have receive personal intercession prayer, there's a website to sign up as well. And also there will be another worship night coming up in on March 16th. So there'll be a couple opportunities coming up. And lastly, you can pick up your 2017 offering receipt in the church lobby in the next three Sundays, so starting today. Now we welcome Pastor Casey, continuing our message on the habits of happiness. All right, well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Um, I see, I see some new faces and returning visitors. Just want to tell you that um, we're so happy and glad that you are here uh, to visit us, and, and we pray that you'll come visit us more often. I'm uh, Pastor Casey Liu. I'm the pastor of the, the English congregation here. Okay? And so, actually, and, oh, okay, here's the clicker. Great. <laughs> so today, this morning, we are continuing our series on what we started last week. Last week was the, the, the first week of the year. And so this year, we're kicking off a series called The Habits of Happiness. And, and it was funny, because on, on Friday night at Lighthouse, I asked, hey, how many of you are as happy as you can be right now? Like, you can't be any happier. And like, nobody raised their hand. And, and, I'm, and, and I asked, well, how many of you would love to be happier this year? How many of you can, can use an increase in your joy and in your happiness? And, and almost every hand shut up. And so I know the results will be similar here, that, that we want to be in a place in our lives where we have more joy and more happiness in our lives, and we have to learn how to do that. And so we're going through uh, the book of Philippians. So for the next uh, 
eight weeks, for, for this quarter, we're going to go through the book of Philippians, a verse by verse in detail, okay? And, and it is the most positive, the most joyful book, and the happiest book in the Bible. And so today's message will be based on chapter 1, verse 12 to 30. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, uh, take it out and follow along, and you can uh, take your hand out and follow along. And today's title message is How to Be Happy No Matter What, and this will be part two out of the nine-part series. And so hopefully you brought a pen to take notes. Um, and if you don't have a pen, would, would you raise your hand? I got ushers to pass out pens. Uh, Uncle Edwin's uh, got pens to pass out to you. Because the thing is, if we don't take notes, like, we'll forget it. Like, to, for, you'll forget everything I said tomorrow. And, and that's kind of, that'll be a bummer, okay? So I want you to retain what you learned here today. Oh, by the way, don't take the pens home, okay? I know some of you have tendencies to do that. <laughs> just kidding, I do. Okay, sometimes we just forget and put it in our pocket, but return it after you're done. So, all right. So one of the most common mistakes that we make all the time as human beings is to have this mindset. And what is that mindset? It is called the if and then thinking. All right, the if and then thinking. In other words, we keep hoping in our mind and our heart that, that if this thing happens, then I will be more happy. Then I'll have more joy. Then I'll be happier. If this happens, if, this, if I get what I want, then I'll be more happy. All right? we, we've all done this before, and many of us are still doing it. For example, for those of you who are in school, in high school, you thought, well, hey, you know what? If I can get into the college of my dreams, you know, I know some of you are seniors, and and you guys are applying for college. And, and you know, it, it, there's a lot of pressure. And you're thinking, well, if I can get into the college of my dreams, then I will be happy. Right? Then you become a college student. And, and now you're thinking, well, if, if I didn't have to go to college and write all these papers, then I will be happy. Right? And then when you grow up a bit more, or if, if you're single... Then, then you're thinking, well, if I, if I can just get a boyfriend, or if I can just get a girlfriend, be in a romantic relationship, and then get married, then I will be happy. Right? Then you get into, then eventually you get married, and, 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 and one day you have a fight with your spouse, and, and you said, well, if, if I was single, then I would be happy right now. I wish I wasn't married to this person right next to me. And then you enter into adulthood, and, 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 and maybe you're unemployed, and, and you're thinking, well, if I can just get a job, then I will be happy. Then as you get older, as you work mundanely, you know, 10, 20 years into a job, well, if I could just take a two-week vacation to Hawaii or Europe and not have to work, then I'll be happy. Okay. If I can have two children, then I'll be happy. Then you had too many children. Oh, if I'm, my children can graduate and get out of college, I mean, get out of the house, then I'll be happy. Like, we, we always look to the future that something will happen. And, and I did that a lot in my 20s. I did that a lot. I, I couldn't even really enjoy um, the, the process, the moments that I was in when, when I was uh, working and studying. And, and, and I always looked to the future because I thought, man, the future will be better than this because right now I'm so tired, I'm so 
you know, I, I worked so hard for trying to achieve what I want, but the future will be better. But every year, it's the same thing. Well, the future will be better. The future will be better if this happens, right? Well, that type of thinking is, is a barrier to joy, okay? And so today, we're going to be talking about four barriers to our happiness and joy in life. There are four common barriers, and, and so we can call them the killjoys because they steal the joy out of your life. They, when it happens, it sucks the joy out of your life, unless you're prepared to deal with these situations. And so you can write these on your handout, all right? And so the first one, the first barrier is pain. Pain. It could be physical pain. It could be emotional pain. Pain is a killjoy. And it's hard to be happy and joyful and be in pain at the same time. Okay. Well, last night, uh, my daughter, who is back there drawing, I hope she doesn't hear me. Yeah. Last, <laughs> last night, my, my daughter was, was crying because she was running a high fever. Um, of 103.6, and that, that's quite high. When it gets to 104, you have to bring them to the hospital. And so, so she was almost there, you know, and, and she was burning up, and, and, and her tummy was hurting, and I had to run to CVS and get her fever medicine and help her take a warm bath and so to, to ease her pain so that her pain would, would, would come down, her fever would come down, okay? So in that pain, while kicking and screaming, it, it's hard to be joyful, so the second barrier to joy is this, picky people. Picky people. Do you have picky people in your life that is very picky on everything that you do? Why are you pointing to, the, to your spouse? That's not nice, okay? They, they just want to pick on everything that you do and criticize you to no end, all right? It could be your boss. It could be your parent. Yeah, and very much so, it could be your spouse, okay? And... And so, you know, I, I always have to bring in examples from my own family. I have to apologize to my kids if, if they ever hear my sermons when they grow up. You know, Micah is super picky. He's super picky when it comes to her little sister cares. Like, every move she makes, every word she says, he will always have a smart mouth response. He will always, uh, I don't know, like, like just pick on her and bully on her. And so he becomes a killjoy for Karis, okay, picky people. We all have that in our lives, right? The third barrier to joy is pressure, pressure. You can have external pressure and you can have internal pressure, and there's a little bit of difference. External pressure is like a deadline for a work project or a paper or an exam that, that you can't meet, and so you're so worried about it. You have so much pressure. It's giving you anxiety and stress, that's external pressure. Um, but it, also, it can also come internally, internal pressure. Maybe you have, you have these unreasonable high standards for yourself that you can't possibly meet. You're a perfectionist, but you realize you're not perfect. And, and that's a painful place to be. You give yourself so much pressure. Okay. Well, the fourth barrier to joy are problems. Well, we all have problems in our lives. There are always problems that come up, right? Whether it's a car breaking down or a leaky roof or, or getting fired or getting laid off, whatever it is, we all have problems in our lives. And so there are all kinds of problems in our lives that will kill your joy, okay? 
So now let's dive into our text. So today we're studying Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. And so you'll realize that as we read this text, Paul talks about these four types of killjoys in his life. But despite of these circumstances, he gives us the secret to remain joyful, to remain happy. Okay, so keep in mind, as I shared last week, that Paul, the apostle, as he was writing this letter to the Philippians, which is the happiest book in the Bible, where did he spend his time? He wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. History tells us that he spent four years in prison before he wrote this letter. Okay? The first two years he spent in jail in Caesarea. Based on what? Did he do something wrong? No. He was arrested and jailed on false charges. They accused him for doing something that, that he did not do. And so it was complete injustice. You know, I know social justice is a big theme nowadays for us. When we see injustice, like on a, on a video that goes viral, we're like, oh my gosh, I, that makes me so angry. Right? And, and this is what was happening to Paul. If someone recorded like 30-second clip of Paul getting arrested and, and thrown in jail, we'll be like so mad because those were false charges. Okay, complete injustice. Then on his way to Rome, he was shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea, as you can see in this painting right here. And he was shipwrecked along with um, the crew. Could have ended his life. But the Lord preserved him, preserved his team. And they ended up on a desert island. Oh, a desert island is better than no island, right? And so he was stranded there for a while. And the Bible says that um, when he was stranded on the island, he even got bit by a snake. They had to record that. He was bit by a snake. Man, if it wasn't bad enough that he was imprisoned and shipwrecked, now he gets bit by a snake. Then he gets imprisoned again for another two years in Rome. And now he's a high-profile high profile criminal, if you will. And he gets, uh, he gets a prison guard uh, chained to him 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, okay? And, and so Paul, we see, has every reason to be angry. He has every reason to be bitter. He has every reason to even curse God about his circumstances. He had every reason to be depressed, you know, could have been depressed while in the water thinking, I'm so dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. He could have been uh, so depressed on the island, oh, I'm going to starve to death. He could have been depressed when the snake bit him, oh, now I'm going to die of poison, he could have been depressed going back into jail yet again, and not just for like three days or five days, but for two years. I mean, imagine, like young people, imagine your entire high school years in prison. That would be really bad, right? But instead, Paul wrote this letter on happiness and joy. So let's dig into our text for today, starting from verse 12. Paul writes this, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace, guard, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord 
and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here in verse 21, it's one of those verses that, that we memorize, that we know by heart, but we don't know the gravity of this verse. To, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die would be much better for me because I will be in the presence of the Lord. That's what he means. Verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, meaning stay alive. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So here he's struggling. You know, remember, like, by the time he wrote this, he was probably 50s, 60s. So he's getting up there in age. And he's like, I, I, I just want to go and be with the Lord. I don't want to be here anymore. But for your sake, I, I have to be here so I can help you grow in your joy, in your faith. That's what he's saying. Verse 27, and this is the key. No matter what happens, Paul says, no matter what happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or not, uh, I, I, I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as the one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay. Quite a long passage there, but it's good. It's a great passage. So now this, this letter is a very personal letter that Paul wrote. Remember, it's a very personal one. It's addressed to his friends, his close friends in the church of Philippi. He's writing to Lydia. He's writing to the, the Philippian jailer that came to Christ. He's writing to the, the demon-possessed girl that, that got delivered and all the people who came to Christ at that church. Okay? They're his friends. And in this letter, he talks about 
in this passage, he talks about four different killjoys that he, and, and he talks about his secrets on how he deals with them. And so he's setting an example for his friends in Philippi how to deal with adversity. And so the key verse to this whole passage is verse 27 when it says, no matter what happens, no matter the good, bad, and ugly that happens in your life, no matter what happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so that's why the title of this message is, is how to be happy no matter what. No matter what. Okay. So Paul says that his first habit to happiness is this. And you can write this down. That no matter what happens, I can be happy if I look at every problem from God's viewpoint. And write down God's viewpoint. Well, what is God's viewpoint? Well, God's viewpoint, God's eye view is from a high perspective. He sees from heaven all that is going on in the world. God sees the big picture. He sees it from the beginning to the end. He doesn't just see geography, but he sees time and space. He's the alpha and the omega. He, he knows the beginning and the end. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. What he began in you, he will complete it in good works. God sees everything. He has a great viewpoint. And, the, and similarly, happy people have a larger perspective. Happy people, they have a bigger worldview. They see the big picture. And when, when people don't see the big picture, they get discouraged. They get frustrated and unhappy because we can't see what God is trying to do in my life. The truth is, no matter what's going on right now, the good and the bad and the horrible and the unimaginable, God is using it for his divine purposes. And he'll... He'll even take our mistakes, our faults, and even our sins, and he'll factor it in. He'll factor it in to his plan. You know, I once heard a guy, uh, a preacher, talked about, and he puts it in a funny way. He's like, you know, God can't be disappointed in you because before he chose you, he factored in all your stupidity. And I was like, Wow. Thank you. <laughs> but I, th I think I needed to hear that. Because I thought, yeah, I do do a lot of stupid things. And there's no way I can disappoint God because he factored all those in, all those things in when he predestined me to, in, into the faith. So God takes everything, our faults, our weaknesses, our sins, and he'll put it into, in a way that that works it out for his glory, okay? And so in verse 12, Paul says, again, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, what happened to him? Well, all those horrible things. He got thrown in jail for false, uh, false charges. So he's saying these things that happen actually serve to further the gospel. Why did he say that? Two reasons. One, one is evident in, in, in the letter that he wrote because he took the opportunity to preach to the prison guards and win them to Christ. All right? Um, and he also preached to Caesar's household. At that time, who was Caesar? It was, it was Nero. You ever 
study Nero in history, the bad guy, bad dictator, right? Can't get any worse than Nero. He's like a Hitler, okay? And he also preached to Nero's household while he was in prison because he, he preached to the ro- in the royal palace. He was in, in, in prison near there. And so some of the royal family also came to Christ. And that's huge. That is so huge. History, your history book does not tell you about that. Your history book won't tell you that some of Nero's family came to Christ. Okay. Well, the, the second reason which was probably, I'm guessing, unknown to Paul himself. And, you know, Paul, he was a very capable man. He was a man's man. He, he was smarter than everyone combined. He had a big ambition. And he, and he had this dream that one day he was going to preach the gospel in Rome. He knew that Rome was the center of Western civilization. Philosophers of the ancient days, they all came from Rome. And it was the most powerful and strategic city in the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in all the earth. And so to preach in Rome means a lot. To to preach in Rome in a huge gospel crusade would be a dream come true for any missionary, any pastor, any preacher. Okay, Think of, of all the tens of thousands of people that would put their faith in Christ. Think about the big Billy Graham crusades, the big Harvest crusades, the big... Uh, 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 Reinhard Bonnke crusades. I mean, that was Paul's plan. He, he, he's dreaming of tens of thousands coming to faith. That was his plan. It was, it was Paul's plan. But God had another plan. God allowed Paul to be thrown in prison. Why? So that he could quiet down his soul. So that he has time on his hand to really reflect on the truth of God to reflect on the doctrines of God so that he can have time to slow down and write letters to his friends and to believers in other cities as an encouragement to them. And I bet at that time, while he was in prison, dark little stinky prison, I I bet he thought, you know, I, I wish I was out there standing in the open air streets preaching the gospel. I wish I could do that. I could be doing that instead of sitting in here. But now all he could do was write some letters in a stinky, dark prison. But little did he know that his letters, his letters to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, his letter to, to his spiritual son Timothy, to the Thessalonians, that these letters would become... One day, the holy scripture that the world has come to know, that has influenced human history for the past 2,000 years. I don't know if he knew that or not. Maybe not. Maybe he knew that, that what he was writing was important, but maybe he didn't know it would be part of the holy scripture. And so that's the difference between a man's plan and God's plan. And, and, and this is why Paul says, you know, I've got my plans, but God has bigger plans for me. And he says, I can be happy because I can see what God is doing through my problems, my problems of prison, my problems of, of pain, of picky people in my life. I can overcome that because I see the bigger picture of what God is trying to do. 
And so when you face problems in your faith, two things will happen. All right, two things will happen. You can write this down. First, when these things happen and you overcome, it is a witness to unbelievers. It is a witness to unbelievers. When Christians overcome big problems by their faith, it shows to unbelievers that God is real. And we become a, a light in a dark world. And they'll be thinking, well, why are you responding this way? Why do you still have joy in your life despite of these things that happen to you? I need to know how you're, you're doing this. That's what they will ask. Paul says in verse 12, that as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in, I'm in chains for Christ. It could have been easily uh, the other way around. It could have been easily, oh, this Paul, he's a fanatic. He got thrown in prison. I don't know why. Who cares? He's a criminal. But everyone in the royal palace knew that he's in chains because of his faith in Jesus. You know, and back then, history tells us that they have to rotate the guards every four hours. Okay? I don't know why. So that they can take a break or they don't develop too close of a relationship with the prisoner and help them escape. Or whatever it is. I don't know. They just have to rotate every four hours. Okay? And so every four hours, Paul is preaching to someone new. Paul's preaching to someone new every four hours. Hey, you know, as the, as the guard chains him up, chains him to himself, Paul's thinking, excellent, a captive audience. Now I get to share with you about Jesus and the good news. It was a witness to unbelievers, okay? The second thing that it does when I face problems in faith that, is that it is an encouragement to believers, it is an encouragement to believers. Because in verse 14, Paul says, And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence. And they've become more bold in telling others about Christ. What he's saying is your positive attitude when you face adversity can give others confidence and boldness to face their fears, to face their situations. Two famous pastors that I highly admire and respect, Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Crusades, Pastor Rick Warren of, of Saddleback Church. They both lost their sons. One through a car accident, one through suicide. And, and those are devastating circumstances, devastating for any parent to go through. But God had a bigger plan. And Pastor Greg and Pastor Rick, they turn these tragedies to encourage other people in pain, that they will not waste the lives of their sons. And they're my role model. They're my role model. I want to be like Pastor Greg. I want to be like Pastor Rick. That one day we can turn this pain to help others in pain. 
Second, second ha- habit of happiness is this, that no matter what happens, I can be happy if I don't let others control my attitude, if I don't let others control my attitude. And when we face um, picky people in life, don't let them get under your skin, okay? It's easy for others to get under our skin, but don't let them. Don't let others decide whether or not you're going to be happy or not. They don't have that much power over you. Don't let them have so much power over you like that, okay? In verse 15 to 17, Paul talks about four kinds of people. And out of the four, three of them are killjoys. They're bad, all right? Only one of them is the good one, okay? And so the first kind, the first kind is this, and you can write this down. The first type of people, they're the critics, okay? They're the very picky people in our lives. And Paul says in verse 15 that it is true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome, because they, are, they, they envy and, and, and they want rivalry. You, know, you can circle the word quarrelsome on your handout. All right? it, it means they love to argue. They love to argue. They, they argue for argument's sake. Do you know people like that? They just want to argue. They're divisive, and they bring intentional conflict into every situation. It's like they thrive on that for some reason. Okay? They always have something negative to say about everything. Even if something is really good, they'll still pick bones out of it. Okay? They're the internet trolls of the world. You've seen many of them. And many times it's because they're jealous of someone else's ministry, and that's why they criticize so much. And so here's a happiness hint that you can write down, that we don't need other people's approval to be happy. We do not need other people's approval to be happy. You know, I don't need their permission to have joy in my life. Why do I keep looking at their face? To see, oh, if their face is happy, then I can be happy. No, no, that, they have nothing to do with you, okay? Don't seek for other people's approval. Look for God's approval, or else we will end up miserable, okay? In verse 16, Paul talks about the good guy now, and these are his comrades. You can write that down. They're his comrades or his friends. You know, this is an older term. It means friends, his buddies. And verse 16 says, other preach Christ out of genuine goodwill, they do so out of love, and they, know God, and they know God's given me the work of defending the gospel. He's saying, these guys are my friends. They have a good heart. They're sincere. They're genuine, and they do it out of love like I do. And they're not seeking for their own selfish gain or anything, but they do it for the pure glory of Christ. And so these guys, they're my comrades. They're my friends, okay? And then in verse 17, Paul talks about another killjoy, and they're your competitors, competitors. Do you have competitors in your life? He says, others preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of self-ambition. He's saying, these guys are selfish. I mean, that's kind of sad to say when ministry is driven by selfish ambition, but it happens. It happens. And if not careful, we will fall into this trap of trying to make our ministry grow for our own gain, for our own glory, so that I can say, oh, my ministry is bigger than yours. My church is bigger than yours. My small group is bigger than yours. 
my worship leader is better than yours. All those are nonsense, nonsense, okay? So if we keep comparing that, we'll, we'll always be miserable, okay? Because there's always someone better, and we'll have pity on ourselves. And then there's always someone, some ministry that, that are smaller. <clears throat> and then we become prideful and ego-driven, okay? So, so don't compare, okay? There's a common saying that, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Have you ever heard of that? You know what that means? The grass is always greener on the other side. That, oh, whatever they have, it's, it's better. I want that. And the person standing next door, they're saying, oh, what I have is better. They want that. Okay. No need to compare. And then on the second part of verse 17, Paul talks about the fourth kind of person, and they are the conspirators, the conspirators or enemies. And Paul says, others just want to stir up more trouble for me. Can you believe that? They just want to stir up trouble. That's their main motive. And add to my pain while I'm in prison. Unbelievable. Where do these guys come from? Right? They, these conspirators add to people's pain. They like to kick people when they're down. Ah, oh, you're in prison. Good. Yeah, yeah. You deserve it, Paul. Oh, hey, you're sick. Ah, oh, you deserve it. God's punishment for you. Oh, oh, you're... You're, you're, you went bankrupt? Yeah, well, that's God's will for you because your ministry is horrible. You know, I don't know where these people come from, but they have this attitude. They just want to tear everything apart. They want to kick people when they're down, okay? Well, in our lives, we're going to have all four kinds of people in our lives. We'll experience them. You've experienced them. The older you get, you'll see every, every color, every type, every personality, You'll see critics in your life, comrades, competitors, and conspirators in your life. Paul is saying, do not let them rob you of your joy. Do not let them control your emotional health. Okay. So let's take a look at Paul's attitude here in verse 18. He says, I'm in prison, and people are attacking me and my ministry. But you know what? You know what? This is what he says. But why does it matter? He's saying, who cares? Why does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Wow. You know, whenever I read this verse, I find it kind of odd. But I find it really interesting as well. It's odd and it's interesting and it's inspiring at the same time. So, wait, wait, Paul, what are you saying? You're saying even if people have wrong motives, you rejoice, Paul? Is that what you're saying? He's saying, yeah, I rejoice because I'm going to focus my eyes on Christ and because my happiness comes from him. I'm not going to focus on other people because my happiness does not depend on them. I'm not going to let people around me steal my joy. And besides, because of their gospel ministry, because they're in ministry and preaching the gospel, people are coming to faith and people are receiving salvation, so I rejoice. Wow, that is a great man. That is a great attitude. I would not be able to do that. Okay, personally, I'm being honest with you. In the past, there were some f- famous preachers on TV or on radio that I didn't really like for various reasons. 
okay? There's all types of TV preachers, all right? And some of them would just really get under my skin, and, and they would upset me by the things that they say, and, and it would bother me a lot. It would bother me a lot. And I knew that my attitude was not good uh, towards them, even though I didn't know them. You know, they were like famous celebrity preachers. That, like, who am I, you know? Like, nobody. But in my heart, I harbored, like, anger towards them because of the things that they said or maybe their different theologies. But God convicted my heart because my attitude towards them was wrong. Because God tells us to love our enemies. If I see them as enemies, which I shouldn't, I should love them anyway. Okay? No matter if I agree with their theology or question their motives. So I had to learn. I had to learn to rejoice because through their ministry, Christ is being preached and people are coming to faith. And, and I had to learn this the hard way. It took many years for me to learn this, but... But now that I have, you know, I, I can be more peaceful when I flip through the channels or hear them on radio. I'm like, you know what? Praise God. I don't know about your motives, but praise God that you're preaching Christ and praise God that people are receiving salvation. Okay, I rejoice. Here is the third habit for happiness based on verses 19 to 20. And it says, no matter what happens, I can be happy if I always trust God to work things out. I don't try to work it out myself. When things are falling apart, when I can't put it back together, I have to depend on God to put it back together for me. You know, for the husbands, for the wives, for those married couples, you know and you've seen and you've experienced that when a marriage starts to fall apart, there's really not much you can do. When it when it gains momentum falling apart, there's not much you can do. And you just have to pray and pray that God will intervene on, on your behalf to reconcile the situation. And God will and does do miracles. Okay. And so this is the faith factor. To always trust in God is, takes faith. So this is the faith factor. That when unimaginable problems come in your life, that you have two options, all right? You can worship or you can worry. You can worship or you can worry. And it is your choice. It is your choice. You know, and and we, would, we would recommend that you would go into your secret place. Go into your prayer closet and just worship God. And when you're in there all alone by yourself, just release all your burdens to God. Even just cry out before the Lord. Just cry out. Shed your tears. Because when you do that, you release your burden that is in your heart. You release that heaviness, the heavy weight of burden. You release it unto him. You don't want to carry that weight yourself. And that's what happens during worship. Your burdens get lifted. You know, in the past, two, in the past few weeks, in the first two weeks of Kylie's passing, I could not worship God. I had such a hard time to worship God. You know, I couldn't sing. Because I thought, I thought God took her away from me. How can I worship a God that took away my child? And the weight of the sorrow was blinding me. You know? and, and at that time, uh, Pastor Hu's wife, Anita, was also going through a dark valley in her life. And as you know, she, she found out that she has a, aggressive breast cancer. And it was very depressing. You know, the, the, both of the pastors' houses are experiencing really dark things. You know? um, 
But Anita, he would, she would uh, send me and also send others who are in difficult situations uh, through line, you know, the social media. She would send us video, uh, video of, of worship songs. Um, and even though she was walking through the valley of the shadow of death herself, she found the strength to worship in her secret place. And, and she had the capacity to also help others. She's not just isolating herself to think about her own pain, but, but she's trying to help me. She's trying to help others in pain by, by sending us these worship songs to encourage us. And so I clicked in and I, and I listened to it. And, and there was this Chinese song that I had never heard of, but when I, when I listened to it, it immediately grabbed me. And for those of you who know Chinese, you can read the lyrics. That, that the entire song was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And, and this is just part of the lyrics, and it just resonated with my soul. And I could feel that the songwriter who wrote the song walked through the valley of the shadow of death themselves and then survived to tell the story, survived to write the song and let me explain the lyrics, you know, Choni Tomanzadi, like, would you fill this place? Fill me up, fill up our church. Fill us up like each so that we can heal this land. That pain and suffering and sickness would pass, and that your miracles would occur here. It would happen in our lives. We want to see your miracles. Lord, please fill us up so that we can transform this place that we're in. And then so that this darkness, this, this stronghold of darkness would pass away. And this is just part of the lyrics. There, there's more. And the whole song is just so beautiful. And this became my song for the, the next entire week. And I would listen to the song like five times in a row at once on repeat because it became the cry of my heart. And it became my prayer when I couldn't pray. And when I worshiped and cried out to God, slowly the heaviness of burden lifted from me. It lifted within my heart. And that's just something that happens when you worship God with your whole heart. Burden lifts. The Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, the glorious presence of God will come upon you when you worship him. When Sheila leads worship on stage, and when you're engaged, when you put your whole heart in there, something happens to you. Yeah? Something happens to you. Your heart gets softened. It becomes tenderized. You start to have more faith in God. You start to trust in God more. You start to surrender all to him. And we don't feel the need to understand everything. We just need to surrender all. Give him your burden. Give him your sadness. Give him everything. God will do a powerful work in your life. And Paul says in verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul wrote this. He, he wrote, I will. You can circle I will because this is an act of the will. When you act, it is the act of your will. It is your choice to rejoice no matter what happens in life. It is your choice to rejoice. It is an act of the will. 
And in this verse, you'll see the four different sources of strength. You can write this down. He says, I have God's perspective on my problems. I have God's perspective on my problems, and I have people praying for me as you pray for me. So I have people praying for me. He says, I have the Holy Spirit helping me. I have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit helping me. And I have faith that God will work it for the good. And so this verse becomes the source of strength for him. Finally, this is the fourth habit of happiness, that no matter what happens, I can still be happy if I stay focused on my purpose, not my problems. If I stay focused on my purpose and not my problem. And that is Paul's attitude. I'm going to stay focused on my one purpose in life, not the many problems that surround me. But the thing is, Paul knew his purpose in life. Do we know our purpose in our own lives? Do we know that? If not, we need to know. Verse 23, he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. I desire to die and go and be with Christ, which is by far better. But it is more necessary for me to remain with you so that I can help you grow, so I can help you establish your faith. So why was it necessary for Paul to stay? He's old and beat up in prison. It would just be easier for him to die and just go. But he stayed focused on his purpose. He knew his purpose, to minister the gospel to preach Christ, and to help churches grow in joy. He knew it. So in conclusion, the reason why most people are miserable is because they think happiness comes from from self-gratification. From self-gratification. If I could just make myself happy, if I just get more possession, if I just get a promotion, get a better position, if I get more, then I'll be happy. If I live for myself, if I can get better stuff for myself, then I will be happy. But guess what? That doesn't work. Living a self-centered life is not the path to happiness. The real true way to lasting joy is self-sacrifice. That's the way of Jesus. Paul says, I'm happy because I give my life away. I give my life away to help others. That's why I can remain joyful. So the question is, how are we living today? Are are we living for ourselves? Or are we living for God by serving others, by giving our life away? Because that is the path of Jesus. And if you are honest with yourself this morning, how would you fill out the sentence? For me to live is, what is it? In other words, what's the number one priority of my life? What is it? And whatever you write in this blank will determine how happy you are. So right now we're going to have a little time of response. I'm going to invite Sheila to come up. And, and, and just be in a posture of prayer. Be in a posture of reflection. As we, as we hear Paul, as we hear the word of God, how are we going to respond? What are you going to fill in? So you can respond in prayer. You can also respond by by giving. Giving your life for others. Giving of your finances to for the kingdom. So I'm gonna, we're going to invite the ushers to come up. And this is also a part of our worship to God. As we respond to Him, 
Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the presence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Amen. Be sure to greet others around you and be blessed.